You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I am your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I am... Uh... I don't know. I don't know what to say about GWS at this point. I was going to have something witty to say. I don't even know where we're at. But one thing I do know where we're at is that later on in the show, and those of you who are NBA fans, uh, we do have Sam Vecini, an NBA writer from The Athletic, who is going to be joining us. He is an, an American who has uh, become an Essendon fan, and he's going to he's going to chat to you about uh, about the Bombers um, and how he became an, an AFL fan. And it's 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 going to be an interesting chat to see where Sam coming on later on. Yeah, listen, Sam is not. A Pat McAfee Australian football fan. Oh, no. His wife is Australian. Yes, she's, she's from a, Melbourne. She and, definitely uh, is. And he's he's an absolute diehard Bombers fan. So he's um. Let, let's just say, if I can give a hint to this conversation, let's just say he's not impressed with what he's seen from the Bombers this season. <laughs> so he teed off on them a little bit. But I tell you what, they they got a little bit of life last night. The Bombers, and so did Melbourne, and so did your mob, the Dogs, because the Giants. Uh, and listen, I, I, I do want to give credit to the Swans. And we went through yesterday and spoke about the young guys that have got coming through. They're in a really, really promising position, Sydney. But my goodness, the GWS, I, I don't even know how to explain how poor they were. This is a team that we were, we were talking all season and everyone has. And even they have. Leon Cameron has it. They need to get the ball inside 50. They've completely gone the, the full reverse of this. And now, yesterday, they just banged the ball inside 50 with absolute reckless abandon. 52 inside 50s, 23% efficiency inside 50. And they kicked three goals for the game against Sydney. And all three of them came from dubious free kicks. It was awful. Yeah, that's something that you know, we've talked about, how they just don't go inside 50, but then you're getting inside 50 with the right types of kicks are important. And it's also a way that Sydney plays. They've been you know, sitting back and trying to absorb all these inside 50s. And GWS just sort of played into their hands. And it was horrible. It's, it's one of the worst performances of any team uh, during the season, I would say, because it just so much was on the line. You're against a team down the bottom, and you just you just don't really even show up. Yeah, 50% disposal efficiency overall. I, I thought Sydney's pressure was really good, but this is something that we said that you know you're going to get from the Swans is that defensively, they're going to be pretty solid. They're going to get numbers back. They've got high flyers that can take marks. Uh, obviously, Dane Rampey is, is a star, but Malikin was really good uh, back there as well. Fox has been in, in some good form over the past few weeks. So, you know, the Giants just, I mean, they looked like the team that was in the bottom four if you had to compare these two. And, you know, the goal-kicking woes for them, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, Cornelio at halftime said that, uh, I don't know what the exact word, he said it was it was horrible or embarrassing or something like that, uh, describing their effort. And, and I have to agree. I mean, this is, regardless of what you want to say about the Swans and how impressive they are, if the Giants are a team that, you know, have any ideas of not only contending for a flag but making the eight, uh, you can't have slip-ups like this because now they go and they play West Coast next week in Perth, West Coast have already won six in a row. They've got the Hawks this week. We expect they're going to win their seventh in a row. I, there's no way in hell that you could even give the Giants a hope in that game. Yeah, I, I don't see how they're, they're going to be competitive. And then you've got you know, the Bulldogs have Adelaide, so hopefully that they can get a win there. Melbourne and Collingwood, that could go either way there. Essendon, um, yeah, they're just you know, behind with that one game in hand still. So 
GWS could find themselves down 11th, 12th really, really soon here. And this is the one they, they needed to win because they lose again next week. That's two in a row. And uh, those other teams could very easily leapfrog. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, that I mentioned on, I, I believe it was Wednesday's pod in relation to the Giants. It's not only the fact that they've struggled to kick goals this year, particularly when Toby Green's not in the team. I, I've said that countless times this year. It's just a fact. It's it's what we've seen. Without Toby Green, they, they can't win a game. But uh, they don't have a forward line that creates any type of pressure. And, and it was very noticeable last night that, uh, they could pump the ball in there for sure. But once it hit the deck, it was zipping out the other way. And the Swans were prepared to run and take the game on. And they did it under no pressure at all. I mean, the, the inside 50 tackle numbers look reasonable for the Giants, but that's just because of purely because of the volume. It was too easy for the Swans to work their way out. Dane Rampey had 22 possessions, 15 of those kicks, 401 meters gained. Nick Blakey, they unleashed in, on a wing, and he was running up and down the field. He was looking fantastic. He had 18 uh, disposals. It, it was too easy. It was too easy for the Swans, and this is this is amplifying the problem that the Giants have. Uh, at one is kicking goals, but two is even if they get the ball in there right now, there is zero forward line pressure, and it, it's you know, that they were showing up big time. Just look, it can't just be the fact that Toby Green is out there so bad. Like there's so many other issues that have to be going on here. Like obviously that's a big factor because he's a you know, super important player. But they just needed to do more. But I don't want to harp too much on on GWS because there's a team on the other side of things who are really good. And Sydney were putting up some you know, huge performances. I and mean, they've been they've been you know, plucky. They were good last week against Collingwood. Couldn't get over the line. But this time it all came to fruition. And not only did that, that defense, which has been really strong, hold up, but they kicked 10 goals of their own. And that's not something we've really seen from Sydney being this team that's that's scoring. You've got you know, Blakey kicked two goals. He had 500 meters gained. And this is a week after he was dropped. So, yeah, that's a massive bounce back for a top 10 pick from last season to, to take that uh, that omission uh, to heart and, and work on it and come back with a really, really big performance. I mean, they've just got endless young midfielders and yeah. athletic types and... They haven't always played the most attacking style of footy, but it was really on display last night. I mean, this is by far the best they've played all season long, and I, I think some of the credit has to go to the Swans. Some of the uh, blame has to go to the Giants. Honestly, it was almost like a training drill at some points. Jordan Dawson, though, was fantastic for mine. So if you talk about Nick Blakey, a guy that predominantly has played forward, I do feel that eventually he's going to go back and play that way, but this was a nice opportunity for him to just get his hands on the footy. But with Blakey, Dawson and also Tom McCartan. This is what we were talking about yesterday with Buddy Franklin. Yes, you want to get him back in the team. I'm not saying that you don't, but uh, this is really exciting for the Swans. They get a chance to play those three guys in the same team. Uh, do they get to do that if Buddy's there? I'm not so sure. So 2020 is shaping up as a, a, a really good development year for the Swans. And I, I watched the post game with John Longmire, and he said something really interesting. Uh, the Swans are going to get a bit of a break here uh, now before their next game. And... John Longwell was asked about you know playing regular games and and getting the breaks and how that has affected his team and and he was it was really interesting it was probably something I haven't thought about enough he said well I, I know there's some teams out there experienced teams that don't need to train and and they're fine with playing these games over and over but he's like but we desperately need to be training because we're still trying to teach these guys what we want them to do and the reality is we haven't even had an opportunity to run through structures schemes with. Uh, you know, physical training because we haven't had time to train. So I, I thought that was a really interesting point for some of these young teams. They are missing out on some of that developmental uh, training, but both Sydney and, and again, Fremantle, those two teams are really uh, coming good the longer the season goes. 
Yeah, they are, and it's it's exciting to watch if you are a fan of those teams, just to see that development and to you know, I guess, salivate over where that could uh, over where that could take them in the future. But I reckon it's it's time now that we uh, that we we bring in Sam and have a bit of a chat about Essendon. Joining us now on the show is a man that basketball fans will be very familiar with. He's the draft expert over at the Athletic, but more important to this podcast, he is a diehard Essendon fan and a frustrated diehard Essendon fan right now Sam Vecini uh thanks for joining the show first of all when we first got this podcast we had a bunch of people say you gotta get Vecini on the show you gotta get him on there to talk to Bombers so we're glad we've finally done this and secondly when you were texting me earlier you said let's talk about this disaster of an Essendon Gold Coast game (laughs) so take it away this is this is all for you to vent right now yeah this is gonna be a nice therapy session for me uh yeah, it was weird. Like, everyone got real excited about the Gold Coast Essendon game last night. Oh, my God, it's this exciting finish. It's this great game. And I watched that game and was just so frustrated. Like, the entire game, I was just sitting there. I was just like, man, this is this is all bad. Like, the entire <laughs> thing's bad. Uh, this is a Gold Coast team that I actually really love the way they play. Uh, I love what Stuart Dew's done. Uh, they play this high-pressure uh, brand of football that is really a pleasure to watch. I think they have uh, a couple of really, really great young players. Matt Roll didn't play last night, but, like, you know, he's going to be absolutely exceptional. And Isaac Rankin's, like, one of the most fun players in the AFL to watch already. So, like, this isn't a slight at Gold Coast, it, what I say, what I'm about to say. But, like, <laughs> given where Essendon thinks that it should be as a club, like, they've gone all in in free agency they've gone out and tried to sign jake stringer dylan shiel adam saw devin smith some of these moves have gone better than others right uh they have really spent a lot of money and they have spent a lot of money on players who are entering their primes or well into their primes and they've done so with the intention of competing now to be on the level Uh, Even with all of the injuries, they're missing something like seven first-team players right now. I get that. To be on the level of Gold Coast, which is the youngest list in the competition and the most inexperienced list in the competition, uh, is bad. Uh, It's it's really bad. I mean, this uh, this is not a good situation. They have something like a 90 percentage right now, which is like 13th or 14th in the competition. They are, uh, they play a scheme that consistently confounds me in terms of what they're trying to do. Uh, we can talk about that in a second here, but just like I'm enormously frustrated with the direction that the club is going more so than I am Uh, any of the players involved who I have an immense amount of respect for because they go out and continue to try and execute what the coaches are in the football department is telling them to do. So there's, there's three, and this almost carries across all sports and and Essendon right now are so difficult for me to, to get any type of gauge of where they're at. Now you spoke about the injuries and, and let's be honest, there's some teams and you're talking about the elite teams that can handle missing a bunch of star players for Essendon, whether it's Ambrose, Danaher, Fantasia, Heppel, Hooker, Stringer, Townsend. I mean, you can continue to go through the list. They're missing some serious players. And I think that the clear thing with Essendon is they don't have the the depth to cover those players right now, but there's three tiers that you can be on. You can be on a contending team. You can be on a, a rebuilding team or you're stuck in the middle. 
Essendon, and you spoke about it, the players they picked up for mine, they're stuck in the middle. But if they have those star players back, are they able to push up to the contending bracket? Because that's the thing that I can't figure out in my head. Because you see them come out and they beat Collingwood. They play a high-pressure brand of footy. They, they look superb. Now, we know Collingwood has struggled to score. But then a couple of weeks later, a couple of weeks later, they'll go out and get flogged by the Bulldogs, who have been just about as inconsistent as anyone. So I just can't get a read on the Bombers. Well, the, the read is that their midfield structure is dreadful. Uh, there is no space to operate. And what the coaches seem to be telling the players to do based off of public comments that the players have made, based off of public comments that the coach has made, uh, it seems like their goal is they want to surge the ball forward, gain meters as much as possible, and just rely on their tall forwards and rely on tall players and uh, their markers in the forward line to either bring the ball to ground and let their crumbing forwards take care of business or to try and uh, mark the ball in the air whenever they're missing Joe Danaher and decided this past off season not to get a replacement for Joe Danaher uh, in the trade period. Right. Uh, that that was unforgivable to me to not end up with someone who is better than Sean McKernan in the trade period, right? Like you need to do that. James Stewart hadn't played for an entire year before that. So you can't say we're relying on James Stewart because it seems like the coaches have never rated him that highly. And he's dealt with injuries similarly to Danaher in the past. So to not have the forward depth, whenever you're going to play a brand of football that relies so expressly and importantly upon gaining meters and just marking the ball from your forwards, it's really just unforgivable from the list management team. The other problem that I have here, and I've thought about this a lot, as you can see, uh, you look at what is happening in the midfield right now. The Bombers don't have a single player in the comp or on their team that is in the top 35 midfielders. Not like players in the competition. I'm just talking midfielders. They don't have a single midfielder in the top 35 in terms of kicking efficiency. They only have two guys in the top 50. One of them is Dyson Heppel, who's out long-term, and the other is Braden Ham. He didn't play last night, right? Zach Merritt's the only other guy in terms of uh, kicking efficiency that's in the top 140 in the competition in terms of midfield. And to me, yeah, they have a lot of midfielders who don't make decisions. Like, we can say that. It's okay, right? Like, but I, I don't think it's just on the midfielders. I think it's a scheme thing where these coaches are telling them, kick the ball forward, stream the ball forward, surge the ball forward. And it just results in us losing possession of the ball and not having an opportunity to score. So I think they're in an interesting position because I, I think that's right when you look at the overall midfield group. The comparison I would make, because, I mean, they do have ball winners in there. When you think about yeah. guys like Merritt, you think about uh, certainly Dylan Shields. So if I compare them to Collingwood, and Collingwood without Scott Penelbury, because I've said this, that this is Collingwood's problem right now. They don't have good ball users. So they've got ball accumulators. They've got stat accumulators mm -hmm. and guys that will collect possessions, but they aren't able to make that finishing kick. And I thought last night watching the first half in particular it changed a little bit when James Stewart came into the game in the second half and we'll see whether this is something that they can look to a little more moving forward as you said James Stewart has had these injury issues in the past and just generally hasn't played so I'm skeptical about this but in the second half they're a little bit more direct in the first half they looked like a team that was confused about who they were supposed to kick it to 
who they wanted yeah. to kick the goals and they were just flat out indecisive. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, absolutely 100% true. You hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, in regard to uh, they have ball winners. Darcy Parrish is a good ball winner inside. Like that's what he was drafted to do and he does it pretty well. Andrew McGraw is a good ball winner. You mentioned Sheila and Mara. Like these guys are good ball winners. Heppel, when he's back, he's a ball winner. That's why whenever people bring up, so oh, Heppel hurts. And... Heppel hurts. Missing him is, Heppel... is a huge loss. Yeah, and I'll talk about another thing, too, that's like an enormous loss with Heppel. Like, I, I think that the leadership factor out on the field, like, it, it's just lacking in a lot of ways. Uh, David Zarakis last night did a great job until he popped his quad of getting the guys together. But, like, that doesn't happen enough with this group. And it's, an, it's a very young group right now that's out on the field. The, the problem is not that they missed this big-bodied midfielder, I don't think. Everyone mentions, oh, they should go out and get Brad Crouch. They should go out and get, um, you know, Ollie Wines is another name that you hear, right? They're like fourth in center clearances right now, and they're in the middle of the pack in terms of stoppage clearances. Getting the ball, it's not an issue. It's what they do with it after they get the ball. And, you know, guys like that, they aren't going to help that. You know what I mean? No, they need a finisher. I, I totally agree with that. And, yeah, the interesting thing is, despite all this, and I, I do think, again, if I want to make the Collingwood comparison, a guy like Stringer, so comparable to Dugowie with Collingwood, he's a guy that can create something out of nothing. So they, need, they do need that target. Uh, again, he was playing in the midfield a little bit. The clearances aren't the problem, though. So if you can get Stringer back and play him as a permanent forward, yep. I think automatically you're in a better position. But despite all this, we look at the ladder. And yes, they needed those, those extra two points last night. That would have been perfect. But the thing we always keep looking at, they have a game in hand. They're going to play Melbourne at some point in, let's be honest, a very winnable game. So if they win that game against Melbourne, then they're in, they're, they're, they're in the eight. They're right in the mix. The percentage sucks, but they're right there. So despite all the negative things, if they can get some players back, their best is still kind of dangerous. Do you have any faith in this Essendon team doing anything this year? So... You're 100% right that they're 5-4-1 right now. They have a winning record. Like, my disappointment could very well come off as being overreactionary, right? But the problem is that they've had, I believe, the second or third easiest schedule, according to champion data that they've released. Um, I, I want to say that it's uh, they've beaten, like, the bottom four teams in the competition, Adelaide, Sydney, um, who, who am I missing here? They beat Fremantle and they beat someone else uh, as four of those teams. And then their other wins against Collingwood, who's pretty good, but was without steel side bottom and was in the midst of Jordan Degoe's like disaster season that we can just say at this point. Right. So that's fine. And they have the tie over gold coast, but the schedule's about to get hard. And anytime that they've played a good team this year, they've just gotten annihilated any team that can use the ball efficiently is going to annihilate them and any team that can use the ball particularly can get control of the ball and then use it well throughout the midfield is going to destroy them that's why the bulldogs beat them so convincingly every year they have guys like jack mccray like Lockie hunter like uh Bailey Smith's a pretty good user of the ball. Like they have these guys even before you get to Bontempelli that use the ball well whenever they get the ball and they can accumulate it. Yeah, the bad news for he didn't play in this game. He's hurt, but like they have guys who use the ball. 
Yeah, the, the bad news for Essendon is they still have Port Adelaide, Geelong, West Coast, St Kilda and Richmond in the run home. So uh, it, it's about to get pretty brutal. And it starts with St Kilda this week. We briefly messaged about this. Uh, this is a big game and this is also a big game for St Kilda because if they lose, they're right back in the pack. Where's your confidence level before we wrap this up about this one? Because, if, again, this is a huge swing game. There's so many swing games coming in here. But when you think about those other teams that they're still going to have to play, I mean, you, you just cannot afford to lose this one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I thought that last night was a must win yeah. for Essendon. And they chose not to play Michael Hurley in the back line. And what happened, the back line got destroyed by Gold yeah. Coast's forward unit, which is fine. Like, it, you know, Ben King's going to be great and Isaac Rankin's super exciting. But – that forward unit shouldn't be destroying a back line, right? So to not play Michael Hurley was a weird call. I think that they probably saw the St. Kilda game as an even bigger must win, and they decided to manage him so that he could play against St. Kilda. I mean, look, I don't have faith. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> um, until the scheme changes, until the structures change, and until they start to get smarter with the ball, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough go, I think, to be a Bombers fan. And, uh, you know, I think that they're so far in between where they want to be um, versus where they are in actuality that it could lead to some very poor years going forward if things don't uh, don't start to turn around, unfortunately. Yeah, the Bombers are, as I said, they're a complete mystery to me. But uh, certainly before the season runs out, we're going to get you on for a full episode. And, uh, you know, maybe... Maybe the Bombers will be in the mix around that time. We'll see. If they are, uh, the one thing we can say, if they're in the mix by the next time we have you on, they're, they're in some serious form. So let's just say that. Yeah, I, I would love for them. My, my quality of life would be so much better <laughs> if Essendon was good, uh, if I had any confidence in them whatsoever. Like, I would feel so much better about things. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now. I, I need the wins where I can get them. But, uh, and I'll certainly be cheering them on as hard as I can. Like, I, I want them to win desperately, but it's tough. It's tough watch every night. <laughs> so that's Sam Bassini. As I said from the start, any basketball fans listening to the podcast, I know there's plenty. They can check his work out. I'm sure they already have over at The Athletic related to the draft and all other NBA things. Of course, if you're an Australian basketball fan, plenty of Josh Green stuff to, to keep an eye out. Whenever this draft is going to happen, we, we think it's going to be. Uh, later on in the year but who can really guarantee anything in 2020 let's be honest so sam appreciate you jumping on uh i don't know i don't know how many afl podcasts you've been on but first time on locked on afl we appreciate it yeah you know i did the uh did the gary lyon and tim watson show this morning and did my normal day job and you know talked about basketball with them this was much better well we we uh, we appreciate it and obviously i agree obviously i agree sam (laughs) of course all right great stuff there kane great chat with sam and now we've got uh we've got more footy to have a look at of course over the weekend And, and this is one of these rounds where the majority of games are occurring on the weekend, we've got almost all of round 12 occurring over the next three days with just the monday night richmond gold coast game what are you looking at over the weekend Last chance for the Blues. And you know what? Pretty funny. We've got last chance multiple times written yeah, yeah. on the run sheet today because it feels like this bunch of chasing teams, they did get a big boost last night with the Giants' loss. But uh, there's a couple of games that stand out for me. And, and Carlton, we don't, even need to, we don't even need to go into it too much here. This is a team that has looked legitimately top eight quality for a half every single game this year. They've been fantastic, but they haven't been able to finish the job. 
this is going to be tough. This is not going to be easy. Fremantle all of a sudden sneakily are actually on the same points as Carlton and only are just a few percentage points behind, which is hard to believe because I don't think That's anyone crazy, yeah. without looking at the ladder would compare those two teams. This is the last chance for the Blues. If they win this, I give them an outside chance. And I, I guess by virtue of that, I should say if Fremantle wins, they're an outside chance as well. But it should be a highly entertaining up and down game. They're both, uh, particularly Fremantle in the last two weeks, uh, they play attacking footy. Yeah, it's so wild to think because you know, remember when back to when they Carlton, lost their first five. Yeah, real. yeah. But remember when Carlton beat the Bulldogs? Is this team? A, yeah. a, a, this is the most attractive footy in the league. And I was like, let's calm down. Like they got smashed the week before. Like there's so much overreaction. And now they're sitting mm. on the same amount of wins as Fremantle and Hawthorne. And there has been no team that has been shit on more than Hawthorne this year. Even, even probably Adelaide has been like, oh, yeah, we knew they were going to be bad. Hawthorne has copped it every week. Yet they're sitting here with the same amount of wins as Carlton, which is just wild in terms of that that narrative there. They need to win this one. Uh, I don't think they will necessarily. Yeah, I, look, it's, as I said, Fremantle, particularly with that home crowd, they've got a huge boost out of that, as have the Eagles. I think the one thing I'll say with Carlton, it's all expectation-based. And, you know, I don't think many people would have tipped them to make the eight. Hawthorne, when you go in with a team as experienced as you did, that's why they're getting slammed. And, we, and we're seeing that they're changing their tune a little bit there. They realize where they're at. Uh, it, you know, it's just kind of remarkable to look at the Blues and think how different this could have been. It could have been one of those completely out-of-the-box seasons. Maybe this is better for them to temper expectations going into next year rather than being a team that you know, bursts onto the scene, gets into the eight, then all of a sudden next year you're talking top four, which we know that's exactly what would happen. So maybe it's good for them in the long run, uh, long run to, to lose some of these close games. But another one that is just crucial, critical, the, the Demons have a game in hand. They're playing the Pies who have been in terrible form We've spoke the last couple of weeks about how the Demons have got a little bit settled in their forward line. They got some bad news. Luke Jackson, uh, I said likely here in the run sheet, but possibly out for the season with a hamstring injury. They don't know the extent of that injury. Obviously, we've spoken about him a lot on the podcast this year. He's a really, really exciting young talent. Now that means that Tom McDonald is basically going to be the guy that's going to be locked in there every week alongside Sam Wiedemann. And Max Gorn is also in doubt. Fortunately for the Demons, they have a pretty damn handy backup Ruckman in Braden Bruce who hasn't been able to get a look in there. So I think that, that the, the Ruck battle will be okay, even though it's against Brody Grundy. But huge game, huge game. Yeah, it is because it, you know, we talked about how poorly Collingwood have, have looked, you know, how bad they've looked against Sydney and Adelaide, still getting those wins, of course. And Melbourne with the game in hand, that they get the win here, Melbourne. They're two points behind Collingwood, uh, still with the game in hand, and their percentage is better than anybody outside the eight. Melbourne, they're almost at 110, so they can even push that even further. And then that puts them you're right in the mix, even like St. Kilda. Like they've got 111 percentage, so Melbourne can start to, to push even further here. This is massive for the Demons. It doesn't rule them out completely completely if they lose but they've got Collingwood here and then next week they've got the Bulldogs so two teams that they're sort of battling for in that 7-8 spot uh, you know, that group of five teams there so they, it's really in their hands they need both of these wins to yes, and if they do get both these wins then they can push up into that area but it's really in their hands they're not relying on others they need to do the business of getting the wins and then also knocking down their competitors for those positions, and it's uh, it's it's up to them now. This is going to be huge. This Melbourne Collingwood game. I'm really excited to to see how it how it pans out, and whether Collingwood can do anything uh, up forward and, and start to start to get some goals going. Uh, it's really hard to take you know, what happens against Adelaide um, as something that's always gonna always gonna go down. We've seen that with plenty of teams. So can Collingwood get something happening up forward? 
Yeah, this this weekend honestly is going to be a weekend where at the end of it you can probably put a line through some teams that are just hanging on the, uh, hanging in there right now. So it's going to be super interesting, of course, tonight as well. Uh, we spoke about it a little bit through the week. It's obviously a huge game, Geelong Port Adelaide tonight, first versus third. Uh, it's honestly crazy. I just went through all the team stats and whether it's disposals, whether it's inside 50s, whether it's clearances, whether it's hitouts, whether it's contested possession, uncontested possession, these teams are within five in literally every single stat. The only stat that's been different for both of these teams has been Port Adelaide's accuracy. They've had 230 shots on goal this year, 34 more shots on goal than the Cats, but their accuracy is at 49% and 56% for Geelong. Said it all year. Good kicking is good football. Port Adelaide actually have lost a couple of games through poor accuracy. And Nelly lost another one uh, against the Blues before Robbie Gray saved them. Two really even teams. Uh, who are you tipping in this one? It is uh, it is worth noting. There's been a lot of footy at Adelaide Oval. This one's actually at Metricon. So Adelaide, uh, Port Adelaide won't have those crazy power fans in the stands. It's a, I've got it as at the Gabba, but that doesn't matter because it's in, it's in Queensland regardless. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I thought that there was a venue change, but uh, I no. thought it was Metricon, but maybe you're right. Regardless, it's in Queensland and not South Australia. Um, I think Geelong gets it, actually. Um, it, when they've been put up against these challenges, like against Brisbane, they've you know, put the foot down, and I think they might be able to do that again. Port Adelaide's, Port Adelaide's faltered a couple of times against Brisbane, against St. Kilda. They, they bounce back strongly, but how do they go here? I, I think Geelong probably gets the, gets the biscuits at the end. The only thing that is worth noting before we wrap this up, and I, I thought this was pretty telling last week, and I also think that this could be taking a little bit of credit away from Port Adelaide that they deserve, but that game against Richmond, Richmond were coming off a four-day break. It was an incredibly high-intensity game. In the fourth quarter, the Tigers were completely blown away. How much of that had to do with the four-day break? I'm not sure. What is Port Adelaide just that good? I mean, I, I think it's still up in the air in a little bit. We're still trying to figure out where everyone sits. The Cats obviously coming off four days, the power six. I think Geelong might want at least a two or three goal lead heading into the last quarter. That's what I'd be looking for uh, for them to hang on in this one. Yeah, and well, Geelong's had a, had a lot of those um, yeah, strong second and third quarters as well. And yeah. that's, that's sort of where they're going to be looking. But it is a, a massive game yeah, right at the top end of the ladder here. This can put Geelong you know, in, in the mix for a top two spot uh, yeah, up there with Brisbane as well and really, really make that a tight race. Um, so much footy across the weekend here, Kane. We're going to be watching it. And then we're going to be back next week to talk about it. So thank you again for another week of Locked On AFL. I don't know what we're going to do next week. No footy, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's going to be crazy, but I'm looking forward to it. Back to our back to our old routine of just actually <laughs> taking things slowly and, and thinking about the games. Guys, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And if you could go leave us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcasts, that would be great. And I'm going to leave you guys today with a shout-out to Michael McLean.